0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Uh, When you guys see John Gurney and Lori Reynolds today, um, if you have not already congratulated them on their um, pending wedding, uh, make sure that you uh, do that. So, yeah, you can clap for that. That's cool. Um, we've been talking over the past several weeks about, about how the Bible works. And, and here's what that doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is the Bible is a formula. And if I can just follow it to a T, then I will be in a relationship with God. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible's not formulaic. The Bible is about God. It's about people who are developing a relationship with God. So we're entering into this space together for the next several months to talk about, like, how does the Bible function? How does the Bible work? What is is the Bible doing as I read it, as I hear it spoken over me, as I interact with it? And last week we talked about how the Bible works to tell us our origin story. Believe it or not, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about creation. Everything we need to know about creation is in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't study other things or try to learn other things about our world. But what it does mean when I'm trying to answer some questions like, why am I here? Where did I come from? Where did I get here? Or how did I get here? What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to Scripture to find that answer. Because there are a lot of people who are trying to tell us the answers to that question. We have a lot of people who are trying to provide meaning to our lives. And as people who are following Scripture as as Christians, we find those answers to those questions in the Bible. That's where we learn these things. So last week we talked about how how the world was good. God made everything and he called it good. And what I said at the end of the message, well, if that's the case, like what happened? I don't think we have to talk very much about there's something wrong in the world. There's something going wrong. We see bad things taking place. We see racism and we see... Theft, and we see murder, and we see greed, and we see jealousy, and we see all of these things. So we have to ask this question like, if God made everything good, what happened? Why do bad things happen? Why is there wickedness? Well, the Bible tells us that too. It's one of the things I love about Scripture, it answers the questions that everyone is asking. And I think if, if as Christians, we would just have some humility to what God is trying to tell us, we would find the answers to the questions that we're asking. So today, our main text, if you have your Bible, is going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be talking about Genesis 3 through chapter 11. We're not going to read all nine chapters today, but we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 3. I am not going to put Genesis 3 up on the screen today, but if you have your Bible app and you open it up to today's event, you'll be, that that text is in there. You'll be able to follow along, but Genesis 3 is not going to be on the screen uh, for you today. So we're, gonna, um, we're just going to pray before we do anything else. God, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather. Thankful that we have people who are hearing what you're saying I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to speak truth into the lives of our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and God I know that that's I know that that's hard the answer the answers that the Bible provides to our questions don't always fall on on open ears don't always. Don't always fall on people who want to hear what your word has to say. So God, I pray just as we as we spend time today talking about what what's wrong in the world, that we would be attentive to you. That we would see that your word is trustworthy and timeless and timely. And it's in your sons and we pray. Amen. So let's read Genesis chapter 3 together. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, I'm going to press pause right there because I want to make sure that you heard what I said. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. So I obviously have a question. How shrewd were the other animals that God had made? Which, if you want the answer to that question, you should text the word question to the number on the screen. And we'll talk about that on Tuesday. One day, he, the serpent, asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Don't miss what's happening here. What Satan is doing, what the tempter is doing, is he's planting a seed of doubt, attacking God's word. When we read the Bible, one of the things that we, can, that we ought to be looking for are the ways, that, the, ways the world operates. That's so why we've called this message, how, does, how the Bible Works, to Tell Me What Went Wrong. We are getting an inside look into the way that we are tempted by Satan as human beings. And one of the ways that Satan tempts human beings Is to attack God's word. Did God really say that? And notice he said. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? It wasn't just about one tree. It was about any of the trees. Here's the next few verses. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. The fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. I give Eve about a C minus on her answer. On one hand, she knows that there are trees that she is allowed to eat from. But did you see what Eve did in her answer? God said you must not eat it or even touch it if you do you will die when i read this particular part of the story i see man's knack for self-righteousness what adam and eve were told was they weren't to eat of the tree and god said nothing about whether or not they should touch it do you see how eve added to what god said isn't that so self-righteous of us when we add to God's word, that God's word isn't enough? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Here's what Satan is trying to tell Eve. You are missing out. By following God's command... You are missing out. God's actually holding out on you. God is keeping something from you. What Satan is saying is the pathway to a full life is disobedience to God's word. You don't need to listen to what God says if you want to have a long life. You need to just do what you want to do. God's word, what Satan is saying here. God's word is not trustworthy and it's not timeless and it's not timely. You are missing out. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves I saw it it looked good so I took it and I ate it I wonder if that's how you how you progress as you face temptation in your life I see something it looks good. I reach out. I take it. And then I share that sin with those around me. Everyone else gets sucked into my sinful decisions. One of the things that's always interesting about this story when, we, when we're when we not actually familiar with it. Is it seems to me that Adam was standing right next to Eve, doesn't it? Usually... When we think of this story, we think Eve is kind of off by herself and Satan pounces to take advantage of someone who's, who's individual and not, not closely connected with someone else in a physical space. But that's not what we read. We see Adam standing idly by while his wife, the person he was supposed to protect, hands him the fruit. And their eyes were opened just as Satan said but they were exposed and they were overwhelmed by, by the chaos of feelings that they had never felt before. And, and if you know conviction when you sin, you know what that feeling is like as the weight of guilt and shame bears down on your soul. Eve had never experienced this before. Adam had never experienced this before. Everything they knew was suddenly upended into chaos. So they attempted to to cover themselves with fig leaves because they wanted to deal with this sin on their own terms. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. See, instead of being naked and unashamed as they were created, They were filled with shame and they were filled with fear. Then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Notice that God is looking for his creation. God is pursuing his creation. And he is met with not confession, but fear. He's met with hiding. The Lord or the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Do you see the blame shifting that takes place in this relationship? Adam, did you eat the fruit? Yep, the woman you gave me gave it to me. Eve, did you eat the fruit? Yep, it was the serpent. I wonder as we read this story, do you see patterns of blame shifting and sinfulness in your own lives? Because that's how the Bible is working here. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animal, all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. Maybe your Bible says crush. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. God is pronouncing a series of curses on creation to the serpent. He curses the serpent more than the other animals, which again is interesting Here's this interplay. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals, and now the serpent has been cursed more than the other animals. The serpent will grovel in the dust. There will be hostility between the serpent and the woman and their offspring. And this battle would rage, culminating in a final fight where the serpent would strike the heel of the woman's offspring And the woman's offspring would crush the serpent's head. This is pointing us forward to Christ. To the woman, she's going to find increased pain in childbirth. The relationship between her husband and her is being tainted by selfish desires for control. The woman has gone from helper to forced submission and domination. The woman was always going to be the man's helper. And there is nothing sexist about that. There is nothing, nothing patriarchal about that. This was the created order. In fact, that's how God describes it in Genesis chapter 2. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. The woman was always going to be in a helper relationship to the male. But something changed at the moment of sin. It was going from a helping relationship to one of submission and domination. That's what it says. He will rule over you. That is different than my wife is my helper. I do not rule over my wife. As husbands, I want to challenge you to not rule over your wives. And then to the man, he also curses. He he failed to fulfill the role of tending and keeping the garden. Did you ever wonder why in a perfectly created garden, the man would have to tend and keep it? Why would the man in a perfect garden have to be on guard? Because there was a serpent there. And Adam had a role to tend and guard the garden. And he failed to protect and he failed to lead and he failed to speak truth to his wife. He showed agency and autonomy. That woman you gave me gave me the fruit. Nope, I took the fruit. What was supposed to be a noble task of tending and keeping the garden was now fraught with hardship, labor, toil, and sweat. Thorns and thistles would be produced and this work would eventually kill him. This is what happened to this perfect creation. Mankind was was given a choice to accept God's determinations of good and evil or to seek out good and evil for themselves. And what man chose was autonomy. What man chose was to seek to to define good and evil on his terms. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's what we're seeing: is that hope is beginning to spring, even even in this punishment, even in the sending out. Hope is beginning to spring. Adam names, names his wife Eve, which is the word for living in Hebrew. God made clothing out of animal skins to cover up their nakedness. God did not just leave them to their own devices to deal with their sin, but God provided. So why did God kick them out of the garden? This, this text that says, they are like us. If they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it, they'll live forever. What does that mean? Why would God make that a part of their discipline, make that a part of their punishment. Because God does not want us to live forever in our sinful state. And if they were to continue to eat from that tree of life, they would live forever. Like timeline-wise, they would live forever. And it is not God's plan for us to live in our sinful state. So how did we get from from this garden of Eden to here. Have you ever wondered that? Like they just ate a piece of fruit. Like how does, how does that take me from, from this one moment in time to the world that we have going on today? Well, the next several chapters of the book of Genesis tell us that. They reveal to us how, how sin and death and destruction cascades. Very, very quickly. I am going to put this one up on the screen. This is Genesis 4, 3 to 9. Adam and Eve have two sons named Cain and Abel. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? The Bible works to tell us what went wrong. And what's wrong is we have the opportunity to do what is right. And when we do not do what is right, sin is going to attack. I want you to notice that that Cain excused his sin out of jealousy. We're going to see a little pathway here in a second. Adam and Eve blame shifted their sin. Their son Cain excused his sin out of jealousy. Maybe we wonder, well, how did, how did Cain know what was right and wrong? Like what, what was formed in Cain of this jealousy? Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were Adam and Eve. And I think it was about a day and a half that they were in Eden before they sinned. Maybe you think it was a thousand years. And that's fine. I think it was about a day and a half because I know my own heart. Imagine being kicked out of the garden. Imagine sitting around the dinner table at night within sight line of the Garden of Eden. Do you think Adam and Eve never got into an argument about why they're no longer in the garden? My wife and I have gotten an argument over how much food is in our pantry. This, this thing that has happened with Adam and Eve ruined their entire lives. And do you think for a moment, Cain and Abel did never observe their parents fighting? I'm sure there were raised voices. Maybe even a raised hand. I mean, I don't know that. But you can't tell me that Adam and Eve didn't fight in front of their kids. So Cain sees this, and he excuses his sin out of jealousy. Several generations later, I think it's the great, great, great grandson of Cain, Lamech. He has two wives. This is verse 23 from chapter 4. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. See, Lamech isn't going to be outdone by his great, great, great grandfather and wait for for something to happen. He's going to go on the offense, and then he's going to brag about his sin. So, blame shifting, excusing of sin to bragging about sin. Do you see how the world right now in in just four chapters. Do you see how the world is going horribly awry? Let's keep going. This is Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 to 5. Then the people began to multiply on the earth and, the, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful woman and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and for some time after giant Nephilites lived on the earth, For whenever the sons of man, sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who had become heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently or totally evil. You see how the world is spinning out of control here. So when we ask this question, what went wrong? Lots. It started off pretty simply. It started off, and the way that we justify our sin, right? It's not that big of a deal. I ate a piece of fruit. What's the problem? But like a black hole, one of the things that we don't recognize is how we suck people into our own sin. People that we don't even know are brought into. The orbit of our sin. But God's not done. This is Genesis 6, beginning at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupted and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was enough. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures for they filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. See, God's done what began as blame shifting to excusing to bragging is now just tolerance of sin and now acceptance of sin. Like this is just the way the world is. Everyone and everything is wicked. Well, why would God flood the whole thing, right? Like that's a good question. Why would God flood the whole thing? Why not just kill the bad people? Everybody was bad except for Noah and his family. Everybody was bad. Everything was bad. This was his creation. So out of protection, God's going to destroy it. Have you ever made something out of clay? And as you're and as you're forming it, you realize you made a mistake? In those moments, you, 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 and God didn't make a mistake. Don't Don't make an equivalence there. Have you ever been working on something out of clay? And something happened to the clay and then you try to fix it? How often does that work? No, you smash it down and you start over. You begin anew. See, God has made something that's very good. And his creation has decided that they have the autonomy and the agency to do whatever they want with it. So God's going to protect what's his. And each of us, when forced to make a decision about protecting what's ours and allowing it to devolve into murder, chaos, and destruction, would protect what's ours. God is going to reclaim what is his. So over the next several chapters, I would encourage you to read through all of these chapters this week. We read about Noah's flood and then we get to Genesis chapter 11. This is after the flood. This is generations after the flood. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous. How 2021. And keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord God came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. This is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Blaming, excusing, bragging, the toleration of and acceptance of sin. This is, this is how we got here. And notice that not much changed after the flood. As, as noble and as good as Noah and his family was. There was something that was going on in their hearts. This rebellious attitude that led them to sin. This is how we got to the place that we are. And we as people are in full rebellion, glad rebellion against God. All of us are in glad rebellion against God. And I don't know what you think of when I think, when I hear, when you hear the word rebellion, but typically what I think of when I hear the word rebellion, I think of Star Wars, right? I think, I think of a noble group of people who are fighting back against a wicked empire. And because my view of rebellion is skewed, I don't think that, I think that my rebellion against God is a good thing. See, I think God is holding out on me. So when he tells me to do something and I don't want to do it, I think God's not telling me the full story. I'm living with a little, little bit of fear of missing out. So we are in rebellion and not Star Wars rebellion against the wicked, evil God. We are in rebellion against the God who made all things good, who loves us and cares for us. What went wrong? We had the deception of evil powers plus our human disobedience. And here's what we ended up with. Broken and distorted chaos. That's what went wrong. That's how we got from eating a piece of fruit to this. That's how we got to this place of broken and distorted chaos. And see, every single time we, we try to fix what's wrong, when we don't understand the story of how we got here, we are, we're sowing our own suits of fig leaves that aren't going to last. We are trying to find our own answers to the problem that we have created. We are persistently, our culture persistently seeks to define good and evil on our own terms. We decide what's good and evil. That's why culturally, what's evil today wasn't evil 20 years ago. Have you noticed that? Have you seen How the definition of good and bad and moral and immoral, do you see how that has changed in the last twenty years? Do you see how it's changed in the last two years? See, as people, we are we are perpetually creating our own standards for good and evil. And as long as we ignore what God has told us, it's never going to be fixed. It can't be fixed because we're asking the wrong questions. We're, we're fighting the wrong problems. And when we are not in relationship with God. We will always choose autonomy. We will always choose agency. We will always be in rebellion against God. So what does that mean? Well, people who rebel against God, like according to the stories that we've read thus far, people who rebel against God die. Like, like they are dead. Remember what the, what the uh, response of God was. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. And I know that we read that story and we're like, well, Adam and Eve didn't die. Well, they were dead spiritually, weren't they? And they did die physically physically. Read through Genesis chapter 6. The entire world dies. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Here's, here's just reality for us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers of the unseen world he's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey god all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature by our very nature we were subject to god's anger just like everyone else don't don't miss this this is this is what's wrong with the world is we have a whole bunch of people who are following the passionate desires and inclinations of their sinful nature. And often, like, that's me, right? As a Christian, I'm not in the place where, I, where God is calling me to. And there are days where I choose autonomy. I choose agency. I choose to live this way. And what God's word is telling us is what's wrong with the world. And as people who don't know Christ, this is us. It certainly describes me prior to entering into my relationship with Jesus and being saved by him. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're wondering what's wrong with the world, it's Ephesians chapter 2. That's what's wrong with the world. This is how the Bible tells us what went wrong. And it started off innocuously by eating a piece of fruit. How many little sins, little sins, no such thing. How many little sins have you done that have only created hardship and pain in your own life? How many little lies have you made like not thinking it's a big deal? And then you have to make like 15 more lies to cover that up. Anybody else? See, there's no such thing as a small sin when we understand that sin puts us at rebellion against God. Well, where's, like, where's the hope in all this? See, God didn't just leave Adam and Eve in the garden, wearing a suit of fig leaves to their own devices and say, well, you guys figure it out. You made this mess. You ate that piece of fruit when I told you not to. You blame shifted. So now you guys figure it out. You're on your own. Just make it happen. I mean, we, that's what we've done, right? We've ignored what God has called us to. And this is what we get. That's not God's way. See, God walked in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. God went down to Babel to see what the people were doing. And in Genesis or Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united With Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I'm going to read that one again because I think somebody needs to hear it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, God didn't just leave us in this state of sinfulness. He sent his son Jesus so that we could be out of this state, so we could go from death to life. Many years ago, I heard a pastor talk about this world In this way, he said, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, this world is the closest to heaven you will ever get. This world, with all of its issues and problems and pain and hardships and realities and lots of good things, right? If you're not a Christian, this world is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And if you are a Christian, this world is as close to hell as you will ever get. With all, with all of its hardships and situations and circumstances and realities. When you feel you are separated from God, you're not In this world, as as Christians, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. If you're not a Christian, you think like, hey, this is a pretty good world. I would ask you to ask yourself, how many times a week do you actually think that? And is this your ideal? Is this what you would call heaven? With all of its hardships and realities? How could you? As Christians, we have the slightest hint of a world without, like, this is, I think this is just a hint of a world without God. I don't even think it's 1% of a world without God. I don't think it's half of a percent of a world without God. I think this is the slightest taste of a world without God in it. I don't know about you, but I don't want anything to do with this place like I love that God made it there are lots of great things here but just seeing a hint of how awful life is in a world tainted by sin I'm just not interested god has something more for me as something more for you and i would encourage you to take advantage of what god offers you through his son jesus Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have again to, to gather this morning. I'm thankful that you have not hidden things from us. I ask God that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what's really going on, that we would look around us, that we would not blame shift our sin. We would not excuse our sin. We would not brag about our sin. We would not tolerate and accept our sin. And when we do those things, God, we are putting ourselves at odds with you. And we lose that battle every single time. There are no small victories in a fight against you only losses. God, I pray that you would work just in my own life in the midst of this. That I would look at the way that I tolerate and accept my own sin. That I would truly see that as rebellion against you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.